Hey, thanks for listening with Sanctuary. We're excited to grow in the knowledge of Jesus with you. Now let's get into the Word. His kingdom comes watching for a wedding. Watching for a wedding. So Beth and I, uh, we've, got, we've been married a while now. Uh, Beth and I started dating at 16. She's my one and only, only girl I ever kissed, held hands with, went on a date with. And so we're very special in that way. Uh, and uh, so we got married in 2007 after college, and we spent a year in preparation for our wedding. We got engaged uh, after dating for a long time, and for a year we were saving up money, doing all that we can do, and I look at our wedding as one of the best parties I've ever been to. I don't go to many parties. I'm the pastor. They don't invite me so much anymore, but uh, uh, it was really one of the best events of my life, not just because I married the love of my life, but we spent a lot of time, energy, money. It wasn't lavish, but, you know, this was the days before Pinterest and Etsy, y'all. You had to do it all on your own. And they, those ladies just spent a lot of time. And it was wonderful. But, you know, uh, in 2011, uh, there was a royal wedding that the BBC reported on that one million people turned out on the streets of London to watch this royal wedding, wedding between the Duke and the Duchess of Cambridge, all right? Now listen to these facts. Millions of people on TV... Across 180 countries watched this royal wedding. 24 million watched it in the UK. So many people watched this wedding, it caused rolling power outages uh, across the UK. Now, that's interesting. Uh, but yet only 650 people, and all those millions, had an invitation. Only 650 people in the world had an invitation. But yet it still took 5,000 police officers. It cost 10 million euros to prepare for it and clean up. The wedding, contained nine, the wedding cake contained 900 little sugar flowers. The groom's cake contained 1,700 little rich tea biscuits. And it was 17 kilos of chocolate. That's a cake, y'all. 17 kilos of chocolate. And it took 21 expert chefs to feed the 650 people. 21 expert chefs. Now, I did not have that at my wedding. I don't know about yours. But can you imagine if that's how the earth celebrates a royal wedding, what a heavenly wedding is going to look like? Come on. 21 chefs just for 600 people. Ten, what is it, 5,000 police officers. 10 million euros to get this wedding to happen. And if that's how royalty celebrates it here, I cannot imagine what a heavenly royal wedding is going to look like. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says that a marriage between a husband and wife is a mysterious symbol of Christ in the church. He's the groom, and we the church are the bride, and he loved the church. He gave himself up for her to present her spotless without wrinkle before him, uh, that he would purchase her, redeem her bring, him to her, bring her to himself, that she would be holy and blameless. And Christ left his father to go purchase a bride, and he left the bride behind to go make a, a place, a dwelling, a house for her, and he promised that one day he's coming to receive her to himself. Now, can you imagine... One of those 650 people of all the millions who watched this that caused rolling blackouts. You're one of the 650 people, exclusive club in the world. Can you imagine forgetting your invitation to that wedding? Can you imagine that the Queen of England and the Duke and Duchess, they've personally invited you and that you just haphazardly forgot about it? No, nothing in the world would let, nothing in the world would keep you from attending that wedding if possible. So what in the world... What on earth 
is going to keep you from attending a heavenly wedding. What on this earth could keep you attending the invitation of a heavenly wedding? I want to talk to you about the righteous will be ready. Somebody say ready. ready. The righteous will be ready for his reappearing. So let's talk about this, Matthew 25, verse 1. Let me give you the background. Watching for a wedding, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the end of Jerusalem. He's telling them the stone temple is going to be destroyed. And they ask him in Matthew 24, they say, well, what are also the signs of your coming, your appearing? And Jesus has been teaching them uh, through Daniel chapter 12. And we don't maybe not notice that when you go through the Gospels, but everything Jesus taught, really he's expounding on an Old Testament prophecy. All of his parables relate to an Old Testament prophecy. So he's talking about Isaiah, and he's teaching from Daniel 12. In Daniel, it says there's going to be a great tribulation before the end. There'll be many signs of this happening. There'll be an Antichrist rise up. Jerusalem will be surrounded. And then the Son of Man will appear in the sky, Him and all of His holy ones with Him. And Daniel is telling about this. And Jesus begins to explain it in Matthew 24 and 25. And because we don't get to know all the details, He teaches it in parables. You see, Daniel said there's going to be a delay between the coming, uh, between the destruction of the temple and the coming of Jesus. That's Daniel's 70th week. We don't have time today to go into it. But Daniel prophesied that one day Israel would return to be a nation. I don't know if you know that happened in 1948. And then there would come that tribulation, the day of the Lord would come suddenly. It's a dark day of God's judgment on the earth. And Jesus, to explain this, said it in parables like this. Matthew 24, he said, the return is going to be like a fig tree. When figs begin to bloom, the summer, you know, summer's coming. He began to tell them that you should be aware that I'm coming unexpectedly like a thief in the night. He said, you should be like a faithful slave who's expecting his master to return unknowingly from a long journey. And he said, you need to be dressed and ready in case of a long delay. So look with me in Matthew 25, verse 1. So this is the context. I want to set that, that theme He's talking about the day when the day, the, the big day, the capital T, capital D, the day he's going to show up again. And here's one parable he says, Matthew 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins or unmarried bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent or wise. And when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the prudent took oil and flasks along with their lamps. And when the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the, the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered and said, No, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourself. But while they were away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. And later those other virgins came saying, Lord, Lord, open up to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. And here's the key verse, verse 13. Be on the alert then, or be ready, for you do not know the day or the hour. So here's our questions. Will you be wise or will you be foolish? Will you be working or will you be idle? And will you be watching or will you be neglecting? Uh, from experience, you know, uh, pastoring for a while, most weddings, I think, happen about Saturday at 2 p.m. That's most of the time I've done a wedding. It's Saturday at 2. There's a little notice here lately in our area. Uh, it's been happening like 8 o'clock on Saturday, which I think is kind of late, y'all. But Saturday at 8 p.m. But can you imagine 
ladies, having a wedding that you don't know the day or the hour, and it's going to happen at midnight. How many ladies are going to go for that? Your husband just shows up and says, hey, gay, hey, hey guys, it's, it's now. It's, it's today, right now. I mean, how, what would you have to do, ladies, to get ready, one, in the dark, okay? There's no electricity these days. It's just lan oil lanterns. To get ready in the dark, and in the middle of the night, I mean, have you getting ready for work in the middle of the night when you can't turn the lights on because other people are sleeping? That's hard enough. But can you imagine getting ready for your wedding? What would you have to do? You'd have to have everything set out in advance. The wedding dresses, they're pressed. The makeup's ready to go. I got my favorite mascara, my blush, my lipstick. Here's my jewelry. You know, all the bridesmaid dresses are pressed. And you'd have to leave it there because in a moment, you'd have to put it all on and walk out the door. Now, I don't know, that probably makes some of y'all stress, but this was kind of the custom in that day. So let me give you a really briefly a teaching on what these Jewish weddings look like, all right? So it's a lot different than an American wedding. Number one is the engagement, the engagement. The father would look and find a bride for his son. This is all those contract weddings. He would go and send a servant to find a bride for his son. Remember the story of Isaac and Rebekah? He'd send a servant to find a bride, and they would negotiate a price, a price for this bride. And the son would say, yeah, that's her, Dad. She's beautiful. And I will let's pay this for her, all right? And that would pay the, the down payment on that wedding, right? And they would negotiate a price. And once that was finished, the young man would go to the bride. And this wedding was in two parts. It was really the ceremony happened at the engagement. Because the engagement was the contract. That was the, the, the covenant. And the son and the daughter would take a cup. They would enter into holy matrimony there at the engagement. They would be as married. And she and he would drink that first cup. And they would sign that marriage covenant. And they would be unbreakable. They would be, have to have a divorce for that. Our engagements today, we can kind of break them off. But a Jewish wedding, you couldn't do that. She was to be as married, and she would take on the identity already of her husband. And she would put a veil on her face and begin to prepare herself for that day. And sometimes, uh, well, let me say this. Once she began to pack her bags and she'd get everything ready, the son would then leave her. He would leave her to go back to his father's house to prepare a place for them to live. They'd live on their father's estate, and that day would be determined by the father when that event was done. And so while he had a cup with her, he signed the contract with her, he would leave to go away, but he would give her a gift to remind her of his love, that he would be back to collect her one day. Now think about this in regards of a working and a waiting and a purity and a preparation you know, the Bible says while Jesus is away, we're called to be set apart as holy. To remember we're engaged to him. To call the way to, he's, we're called to stay away from spiritual adulteries. Remember our first love. Remember that in Revelation? You know, Paul said he's left us to be a bride without spot or wrinkle. We're suppressing the dress. We're keeping ourselves spotless. We're setting everything ready. And this bride would have a veil on her face to remind the boys in the neighborhood, this isn't a girl you can mess with, and to remind her that she's not to take any advances from the rest of the world, that she's set apart. And every time she went to the market, she'd keep that veil on. And Paul says that we're veiled. We don't see everything clearly right now. We're not to be like the world. We're waiting to the day where he removes the veil from us and we can see him clearly face to face. Uh, so here's this engagement. Remember that moment when our, our Savior comes and he takes that cup on the night that he was betrayed and he had those cups and he was a cup of a new covenant in his blood. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and that payment 
changed our identity. It gave us a new name. You're not to live in the old identity that you were. Maybe today you're living still with all this old junk. And if you enter into covenant contract with Jesus Christ, it's a new covenant written in His own blood, and He paid the price for that dower, and He purchased you. He redeemed you from your old family lineage, and He brought you to the family of His Father. And He says, you don't have to live under the name and reputation of your old self anymore. Now you're mine, and you stay mine because I'm coming back for you. There's a contract, there's a covenant, there's a cup, there's a promise, there's a home prepared, there's a gift. And what was that gift he left? He left us the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Remember what he said in John 14, verse 2? In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'd go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I'll come again to receive you to myself, that I, where I am, there you may be also. That's what he's saying. You know, I like Andrew Murray said, he said, the loving anticipation of our, our spouse, of our groom. Think about it. We are anticipating him, and we want him to come back. If you're a believer in Christ, you love what he's done for you. You love that he's changed your identity. You love that he's given you a new name. He's purchased you from sin, Satan, and hell, and society. He sets you apart as holy to himself. It was written in his own blood, and it's a contract that no man, no earth, no angel, no principality, nor power, nor demon in hell can ever break. It's only him. He wrote it. He signed it in his own blood. And he says, hey, I'm going to build you a house. I'm going away to build you something. Until then, I've left you my presence. I left you a gift to remind you I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you till the end. You see all this in Scripture? It's beautiful. There's the engagement, and then there's that separation. See, that separation uh, normally in the Jewish culture lasts about 12 months. And I told you she had to wear a veil. She had to keep herself chaste and pure. She wouldn't know the general, uh, the detailed day and hour that the father uh, would tell the son to go get the bride. It would be a day and the hour the father set. He, you know, because uh, young men probably would just throw something together and then go get her, right? Uh, but he's like, no, you're going to make a good house. It's going to be, we're going we're gonna to call the union in and we're going to check it. Okay, no, it's, it's going to be good. And whenever I say it's good, go get her. She wouldn't know the exact day, but she might have a general idea. Because often when this work was done and the father said, all right, son, go get her, the young men like to go in the middle of the night. Grooms often surprise the brides by coming late to steal them away. It was kind of exciting. And so brides and bridesmaids had to always keep those bags packed, dressed, the jewelry ready, like I said before, whenever the groom appeared. So there was a working and there was a waiting and while Jesus is away, he's asking you and me, hey, how's the veil? You know, sometimes in American Christianity, I wonder, rather than a formal engagement where we put the ring on, if we're still interested in dating Jesus just a couple times a month. Do we just like, hey, uh, I'm just looking, I'm kind of lonely tonight, looking for a hookup, can we shack up together? Let me just be honest. It's one of those kind of relationships where it's not a covenant contract. We just want the benefits, but none of the commitment. Come on. Are we in love? Are we exclusively His? Are our bags packed? God has been speaking to me mostly about the veil. That He, are you veiled to things that are around you? Are you keeping yourself chaste and pure? Because you know the devil, he wants to use the world to make you cheat on Jesus. 
He wants to, he's putting all these advances out. Hey, pretty lady, come over to my place, right? He's, he's, he's putting all these things out there and saying, look at this, look at this, come over here. And it's like that bride would go out in the, into the streets without a veil on and all the boys would be whistling at her, trying to get her to date him. And that's really what the enemy's doing today. He's trying to get the church to commit spiritual adultery with God, against God. He's trying to get the church to fall prey to all the snares of the evil one, that it would break that relationship, that first love. And it's like, hey, guys, we need to put the veil back on. We need to separate ourselves from, I'm not talking about how you dress or what kind of movies you watch, because Lord knows it's in our heart. He's looking at the heart. How's my heart's first love for him? How's my holiness? Is it a holy heart? Am I chaste in mind and spirit and uh, emotions? Is everything I have focused on, he's coming for me. He's coming for me. He's coming for me. I'm not anybody else's but his. Get away from me, devil. The righteous will be made ready. You see, Revelation 19.8 says, it was given to her to clothe herself. Somebody say clothe. Clothe herself in linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts. It's the holy works. It's the acts of the saints. So number one, it's the engagement. Don't you know that he's changed your identity? It's written in his own blood. He's bought you with a price. He's coming back, making a place for you. Number two is the separation. Don't you know you should wear a veil? Keep yourself pure and holy, separate, looking to your first love. Number three is the procession. Uh, So special guests will get invited. And like we do today, we have a, a bride's side and a groom's side. The groom's side will be uh, helping to prepare the groom, the bride's side helping to prepare the bride. And as the day got closer, the bridesmaids would sleep at the house of the bride because they didn't really know when it was coming, but they had a general idea, the signs of the times, okay? A general idea and an urgency would begin to build up in them. And if the groom was asked, when was the wedding, boy? He might say, well, it's not for me to know, ask my dad. Remember Jesus said, it's not for me to know, only my Father knows. And when the time came, someone would shout, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. They would send a runner, one of the groomsmen, ahead of him. Remember what the Bible said about John the Baptist? He was heralding the king, heralding the groom. They would send a runner to get the bridesmaids ready. Hey, get the bride ready. Get everything. Turn your lamps on. He's coming. He's coming. And as the procession would happen in the middle of the night, it would come suddenly. All of a sudden, the groomsmen and all of them would come dancing and ready and music blaring. And as they got closer to the bride's house, someone would blow a trumpet, a shofar, a ram's horn, and alert them. It's time. He's here. He's here. He's here. And then she would whisk away his bride and the attendants of the bridegroom on these dark roadways. Again, no street lights, no flashlights. They would have to have torches, little lamps. To light the way. I've got two here. Little antique oil lamps, just like this, to light the way. And they'd have to have oil in here with a wick, but if this ran out, you'd have to pour oil in it and refill it. And this would be your flashlight, y'all. This is all you get. So here's Jesus telling this story. He's saying, the herald has come, and the bridesmaids were getting the bride ready, and they are to get themselves ready, and they turn the lights on. But some of them were foolish. Some of them, between the time the announcement was made that the, the groom is coming to the time the trumpets sound, they needed to keep their lamps lit and have enough to get from then all the way back to the wedding ceremony. And Jesus says it's going to be that way. Some are not going to be ready. The righteous will be ready, but some are unwise. Some are lazy. They will have enough uh, lit, but nothing to make sure they get all the way there. And it's this story where five of them lit the lamp, fell asleep, but the bridegroom 
delayed. The moment from the herald to the trumpet was longer than expected, and they all fell asleep. You know, Jesus has been gone for almost 2,000 years. It's a little longer than I expected. It's longer than a lot of people expected, and sometimes we get sleepy. And uh, there's a parable here. This parable is really also from Isaiah 62, and he's saying this light. What does the light represent? The Bible says in Isaiah 62, verse 1, it's Jerusalem's righteousness, it's her salvation. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, but you also are the light of the world. And this, this light is your salvation. This light represents righteous acts. It's the holy things you do that you're shining like the light. You know, the Bible says uh, in uh, Daniel that when we get to heaven and we get these new bodies, we will shine like the stars forever. Your, his righteousness glows. It's the glory of His splendor comes into you. And that light is to shine up a dark and dim world. But in this passage, in this parable, these righteous people, these saved people, they both lit the light, but the wick had no fuel, only maybe for a little while. They lit it, and they got sleepy. And then when they awoke, they heard a trumpet. And they begin to say, well, how much oil you got left? You see, the wise, they took extra jars of oil to make sure they made the journey all the way back home. We know oil in the Bible always represents the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says in uh, the next chapter that Jesus is looking for righteous people. He says, I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you fed me. I was sick and in prison. You visited me. Uh, He's looking for people who have righteous acts, that the righteousness of God is in them and they're shining into the world. And this righteousness is what he's looking for. But you know, righteousness only goes so far if it's not fueled by the Holy Spirit. Why? I can do a lot of good works and join all kinds of clubs and committees and give my money to the poor, but Paul says, if I don't have love, I don't have him on the inside of me, if I don't have the oil of the Holy Spirit fueling that, it's all self-works. But Jesus is looking for works that are based on a love relationship with him, that are based on a fueling of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. He's looking for righteous people, but that spiritual life cannot be borrowed from anyone else. Every single one of us is responsible for our own oil. You can look the part. Each of these looked the part. They were all dressed. They all had light. They all had lamps. They all wanted the groom to come. They all were expecting the groom. What does that look like? It looks like that not every Christian who professes to be a Christian is going to make it on that day. Because where's the reserve? It's like that parable of the soil and the seed and the sower. One seed was cast on shallow soil, and it looked like a good seed, but it didn't have the depth that sprang up to eternal life. You see, it matters what's in you. It matters what those works are coming from. It matters where your heart is. It matters the depth of spiritual life on the inside of you. Because he says there's going to come a delay, and not everyone's going to have enough supply of the Spirit to make it. Not everyone's going to have the depth of soil to make it. But be on the alert. Hebrews says, we are to be those who eagerly wait him. And God said, until that marriage day, he's appointed watchmen. Isaiah 62, verse 6. 
he was looking for not only just these brides and grooms to be ready, but there was a herald. I believe that was John the Baptist telling us, you know, we've been told that he's coming for a long time now. The watchmen have come. He's looking for watchmen from groomsmen, some bridesmaids to get the church ready, to get the people ready, to behold the bridegroom cometh. He's looking for people to shout, to stay awake. And you know what he said in Isaiah? He said, I'm praying for, I'm raising up watchmen, people who would be on the walls, who would not give God rest day nor night till he has set Jerusalem up, till he establishes her and lets her light shine. Give him no rest until he makes her praise in the earth. How many people are awake today? Maybe there's a dimming light. Maybe there's an absence of oil. I've been uh, teaching some in India lately, and, and I've noticed, I told our leaders just the other day, I said, I've noticed how much these persecuted churches, these are very poor, small churches, the only events these churches have are prayer meetings. They don't have fun pancake suppers and dinners. They don't have Christmas cantatas and like the way they do some things, but they don't have all the things that we try to get people in the church doors with. They preach and they pray. Their oil is full. Their lamps are lit. They're hungry for God. And I wonder how, how dry, really. We got the light on. It's burning. But do we have the oil to supply it? The trump came, and not all were ready. And then there was a marriage supper, number four. At the husband's home, he would whisk, he'd, after the trumpet sound, he'd whisk away that bride, and they would have this great procession back to the father's house. Come on, y'all seeing this? This trump sound, they whisk him away. They get to the father's house, they shut the door, because they don't know who's an outsider and an insider. If you're there, you're invited. You've got the invitation card, you should have had your lamp ready, you're a part of the guests, and we don't want any uh, wedding crashers. So they lock the door. And for the next seven days, they have what we'd call a marriage celebration. It's the honeymoon. The bride and the groom go into the wedding chamber. It's the, the hoopah thing. It's, a, it's like a covering. It looks like uh, the canopy of the tabernacle or symbolizes Moses and the covering of God's presence over the people. And this marriage goes under this, this tent, and they go into the bridal chamber, and they consummate the marriage. And for seven days, they and their wedding party celebrate behind closed doors. It's that honeymoon. And they, they, uh, the, the bride's veil would be taken off. It's placed on the groom's shoulder. And there was a declaration back then made that the government shall rest upon his shoulders. And that night, or that, those seven days, the guests would celebrate in the father's house. And the father, because you didn't have much warning, uh, would send all the invitations back out again and say, Hey, uh, it's happened. My son's ready. It, it happened suddenly. And here's the invitation. All who are, are willing, come. All who are my friends, come. And remember the story about Jesus saying that you have to go to the highways and the byways. Somewhere not in, they were invited but didn't come. That's the moment where God begins to invite Israel. Hey, join us. Hey, join us. Hey, come. Come and be with us. Why? Because during that seven days, which represents seven years. There's going to be a moment, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that at the trump sound, an archangel shout, the dead in Christ will rise, and we who are alive and together will be gathered up to be always with the Lord in the clouds. We will join Jesus, our bridegroom. He's coming. He comes, He descends from heaven, He gathers His church. He has this moment in Revelation 19, uh, verse 6, it says, It'll be the marriage supper of the Lamb for a bride who's made herself ready. And there Jesus in the church will take the fourth cup. Remember that moment at the night He was betrayed. Jesus said He took one cup, two cup, and three cups, the cups of Passover. But the fourth cup, He says, I will not take of this cup 
until we are together in my Father's house, up there, uh, when, I, when we see together, uh, up in heaven, in paradise, when we're together. Because that fourth cup was really symbolic of the closure of a marriage. See, when they got to that, they had that first cup when they got engaged, but when they got to that Father's house, they would have that final cup, and it sealed the deal. See, that fourth cup is prepared for you and for me to take with Jesus on that day. But that door will be shut. The Bible says that Daniel's 70th week begins. There will be a seven-year tribulation on the earth while the church is away, the days of all. And then after the seven days ended, the husband and the wife now go back to her father's house to have one more celebration and finish the marriage feast on the eighth day. You know what the Bible says is once that seven years of being with God in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb is finished, Zechariah, Isaiah, they all prophesy. And the Lord will descend, He and all of His holy ones and His angels with Him. He will come. He will split the Mount of Olives in two on His name. His name will be written on them, and His name will be on His thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming on a white horse. His eyes will be flames. His hair will be white as wool. He'll have a crown of many crowns on Him. He'll come and descend, and with a word He will conquer this world and set Himself up as King of kings. You see, it's all there. It's all there. And seeing the righteous are ready. The righteous will be ready. Well, that's what he's saying to us today. All the details, if you say, I don't understand all that, Pastor, that's okay. The point of all of it is, are you ready? Are, is the veil there before you? Are, you? are you holy? Are you setting yourself apart? Are you pushing back the advances of the world that want to tempt you to get off your first love? Are you keeping yourself pure and holy and chaste? Is your lamp lit, not just with righteous acts and good works, yes, but is it lit with an oil of the Holy Spirit that's going to get you through some of the darkest days in this world to keep you burning with a holy fire, looking forward to His glorious appearing, to keep you together in the love of Christ waiting for His appearing, Jude 14. To wait, keep yourself in the love of Christ, waiting, waiting for His appearing. And say, God, I'm focused on You. Focused on You. I remember, uh, even though Beth and I had dated for a long time, I remember being very nervous on our wedding. I don't know why. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a pastor. I was going to be in front of people. I just remember being very nervous uh, in anticipation. I don't know if it was the nerves and all that. She was beautiful. Everything was perfect. But just the build up to that day. Don't you see where we are in prophetic history? There's a building. There's an anticipation. It's exciting. It's nervous. But y'all, we're going to make it. You're going to make it. Keep your lamp lit. Keep your clothes dressed. Get ready. Pack your bags. Keep them right there. Don't get distracted by all the things that could easily entertain and, and entangle you. But keep your eyes focused. Just get ready. Be ready. That's what he's saying. Be alert over and over again. Guys, I want you. It's going to be a long time before I come. Don't get dissuaded. You might fall asleep, but when the trumps sound, you'll be ready because you'll have enough oil. I want to close with this. I read this uh, last year to our one of our Bible studies. Uh, in 1993, George Wood wrote this in the Pentecostal Evangel, a magazine that we get as pastors. But he wrote about that moment. I want you to just kind of picture this in your mind's eye, if you will. Picture that banquet hall, so vast it stretches as far as the eye can see. But so intimate, each one fills apart. 
And look at the table set with fine linens and dishes and utensils of heaven, ornamented with dazzling elegance and beauty. Banners stream from vaulted ceilings, and visual delight presses on the senses, form rainbows of color fashioned by the master artist himself. Orchestras play instruments with symphony and praise. Harps sing, cymbals flash, trumpets sound, wind chimes ring, bells and horns and lutes and violins and dulcimers and clarinets. And from time to time the instruments will quiet, so vast angelic choirs can break in with such melodies of joy as to banish every memory of the pain-filled earth. The tables are for the guests who've been washed in the Lamb's blood. They're clothed in white, once wearing the browns and blacks of simple peasants and prisoners. An angel steps up to the rostrum and announces, Please stand at your place. The meal will begin momentarily. Now hush falls in the room. And we look at the vast tapestry of guests in grand assembly. We notice faces of joy all around, entering at the head of the table as the company of apostles and then the prophets and the martyrs who bore the burden and remained faithful. And then the moment comes. The last earthly guest is standing, and another angel announces the host. I present to you the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus of Nazareth. Trumpets begin their flare, myriads of angels lift their harmony of hallelujahs, heavens honor guards rave their flags, and streamers fill the hall. And then he enters, majestic in beauty, the Son of Man, the Son of God, strides to its place of honor. Silence falls, and his voice breaks the stillness. Welcome to my marriage supper. Let us take the cup of consummation. And together with him, saints of all ages, nations, languages, and cultures, villages and cities, farms and desert places, all lift up their cup and toast to him. And in that moment, as we drink the fourth cup of redemption, saga is completed, and the eternal age is open to us all. Man, that's my future. That's your future in Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me this morning? What on earth... What on earth could keep you from missing the invitation of the wedding of the universe? The wedding of all times, the wedding of all weddings. You have an invitation to be seated at the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he's saying, be ready, even though I delay. Be ready, be ready, be ready. The righteous will be ready for his reappearing. Can we take a moment and just bow our hearts and heads?